0: our church. Um, she has given so, so much. She serves in the children's teams, in the student teams. She does um, welcome. She does preaching. She's just a brilliant young lady. Um, I, yeah, really inspired by her. Um, and she's going to preach to us this evening. So I'll just pray for you if that's okay. And then go. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for Georgia. Father, we thank you for bringing her here to St. John's. We thank you for everything that she's done through serving here. And we just pray, fill her with your Holy Spirit, Lord. We thank you for the words that you have given her to speak to us today. And we just pray that you'll prepare our hearts to hear them, Lord, that you'll be speaking to us through her. I just pray peace on her heart and um, a joy and excitement in her mind as as she shares this with us. In your mighty name we pray this. Amen.
1: Good evening. Hi. So um, a few weeks ago, I was at the leadership conference, which a few of us went to in the Royal Albert Hall. I think a lot of people here might have been there as well. And we um, had this most amazing time. And there was this amazing speaker called Craig Crushell. Am I saying that right? Yeah. (laughs) And he um, is one of the pastors of Life Church, which is one of the biggest churches in America. And he was telling us this story about how the first time he preached his pastor asked him the day before if he would do it and he said he did it intentionally so that he wouldn't have six nights worrying about the talk but only one night and i can only say that with the four days that i had noticed to do this talk i feel some of similarity <laughs> but um yeah i really believe god's going to speak to us tonight and so let's just come with humble hearts and open hearts ready to hear what he has to say um yeah, We're going to be talking about the Sermon on the Mount tonight, and I ask that you open your heart tonight, as I believe God is requiring us to step into a new level of vulnerability um, and this evening, but you know what, he is a good father, and he doesn't force us to do anything, he won't do anything without our permission, and um, he, but he just really wants to move, and he does prompt us, so I'm praying tonight that he prompts you in areas, and it, it can be challenging, but we're a body and we do this together. Um, yeah and as we look at that we're going to be looking at the topic of anger and forgiveness and I know it will bring up a lot of hurt and pain for some of us but I also know that God is here his spirit is present with us and where the spirit of the Lord is there is freedom so let's allow him tonight to mold us to change us to equip us and to be filled out and go forward amen so a few weeks ago um, I had the I'm not sure how to put this a kind of a nightmare adventure trip up to bristol um, on the way to visiting some friends i was getting the mega bus i don't know if anyone's got the mega bus before <laughs> but it's basically the cheaper way to travel if you're a student and you can't afford the train like me <laughs> um, and it started the minute i the minute i left my house really um i missed my bus to the station which happens to be a common occurrence and something i get quite angry at myself for which meant i was late for my train Um, But I had it all planned out. I worked out the way I was going to get there. Um, And all this happened until only little did I know that when I arrived at Victoria train station, it's not quite near Victoria coach station, which I had planned a three minute walk for. Turns out it was like a 10 minute walk. I was very panicked. (laughs) So I asked many people around, excuse me, excuse me. How do I get to the bus to Bristol? And they would just give me their long winded answers of, oh, it's just up there around the traffic lights and then just straight on. And I'm terrible at directions, so I was panicked by this. Um, and not to be dramatic or anything, but I felt like I was in a James Bond movie at this point. <laughs> I was running. I was passing people out the way, sweat dripping down me. I felt like music was going. I was running and running and running. And I felt like I was, cross- I was risking my life crossing the traffic. I didn't care what my mum ever taught me about crossing the road. I didn't care. I needed to get on that bus And when I finally arrived, I said, excuse me, like, where's the bus to Bristol? And this lady was like, oh, it's here, but you have to go all the way around this glass entrance. To which my face was somewhat not amused, and I was not feeling graceful and loving towards her. (laughs) I had two minutes to get this bus, and I was on a mission. So I ran, and I ran, and I ran, and I wasn't sprinting before. I was sprinting now. Until... I reached the destination and it's kind of like an airport there's like these glass doors that they lock you in and then there's all these um buses waiting and there was about 100 people waiting and i was like to someone excuse me excuse me how do i get on that bus and they like took me through and we kind of he kind of announced it as we went through the crowds of people to the front of the door and we were we were banging on the glass door we're like i need to be on that bus stop that bus stop that bus to which I didn't realize, but the 100 people behind me were also going, she needs to get on that bus, stop, stop. And I was like, I didn't care. I just really wanted that attention of that bus driver. Um, until the final moment sunk in and I realized I wasn't in a Love Actually movie and this was reality and the bus driver drove off. To which the 100 people did the same reaction. <laughs> and they went, oh. And I was so embarrassed because I suddenly realized I had an audience. And <laughs> I was like, uh-oh. Um, turned my face around and it was a mixture of um, anger at myself, frustration, and just utter humiliation. I was on the brink of tears. But I tell this story because I think all too often we get so fixated on our destination that we lose sight of who we hurt along the way. I think it's true to say that we are, in- running, uh, we are increasingly running after I in this culture. What I want, what I need, what I must choose to make me happy. It might not be a bus that you're chasing, but we are all running after something. And you see, we know that God puts dreams and hopes and visions on our lives, and that he does want us to run the race of endurance for these things. But he never describes this as a solo mission. He created us as part of a family, one body that is united together. And you see, the devil hates this. He is known as the liar who has come to steal, kill, and destroy to break down relationships, to build selfish ambition, and grow anger in our hearts. Which is why it is so important that we listen to the conviction of the Holy Spirit and guard our hearts against such of these things. Be quick to forgive others as they mess up too. As we read what Jesus says in this verse in Matthew, I want to ask you, what areas in your life have you let anger take control in? And how is this affecting others around you? In Matthew 5, verse 21, it says, You have heard what it was said to the people long ago. You shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the call. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there at the altar and first go and be reconciled to them and then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your advisory who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way or your advisory may hand you over to the judge and the judge may hand you over to the officer and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you've paid the last penny. Wow, that's quite a lot to take in. But to get some context into what was happening here, um, in this part of Matthew, we're really seeing Jesus as a teacher as he delivers the famous Sermon on the Mount here. And here he warns us against the consequences of anger, anger and stresses, unity within his followers. And how we are all equal in the kingdom of God, and therefore we must forgive one another. Here he lays down some very clear guidelines and foundations of how we are meant to live. And in our passage tonight, Jesus clearly states that we should not be angry with one another, or we will also be judged. And I don't know about you, but I often associate anger with an extreme violence. But we hear Jesus say that even talking badly about someone behind their back is just as dangerous. You see, sin likes to trap us to the point where we feel most alone and unworthy. While we'll sing about how good God is on a Sunday, come Monday morning, we're still stuck with the same issues, only feeling more alone because the enemy likes to isolate. It's one of his most successful tactics. If he can get you into a bad situation, that's half of it, but staying there and making you feel like you have no escape because you're so unworthy is just all of it. And Jesus is showing us that sin doesn't just affect the outward appearance or behavior, like murder, but it also affects our internal struggles. It affects who we are inside, and it affects our hearts. But you know what? We're all carrying these things. We are all broken people. So why are we surprised when God speaks so boldly here into these issues? We've got to be honest and be vulnerable. And God says that out of this, the good fruit will grow. The spirit of oppression and guilt all too often gets its way in our lives. And, and I feel like we're a culture that we're so quick to take offense in this day and age. And I say that as someone who was part of the problem. The too often, this leads to anger. And it doesn't matter if you're a loud, I'm going to cause a scene type of person, or you're a, I'm going to sit and dwell on what they said to me because I'm so mad at that person. God says it's equally the same. It's what's going on in our hearts. Anger is anger. And in order for us to move forward, we must recognize what is holding us back and repent. And in order for us to be like Jesus, we must follow his example and only then can be be liberated through him. If we think about a parent or a child's relationship, there are always consequences to the actions. But for the sake of punishment? No. Always out of love and protection for their child and their relationship. And the same applies with God. We must honor him in the way we treat each other. And in this verse, he warns us that we may be thrown into the prison, and that is true for an earthly sense. But have you ever considered how it might be putting your mind and your heart into prison too? That is when you start sinning, it's all too easy to believe the liar instead of the Savior who's come to help you. This is why we must protect and discern our hearts and renew our minds with conviction and face the truth, even if it feels like offense sometimes therefore preventing the enemy from having any foothold or ground because we have a clean heart with God. It's therefore stressed in Proverbs 4, verse 20 to 27, and it says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Keep your mouth free of perversity. Keep, your, keep corrupt talk from your lips. Let your eyes look straight ahead of you. Fix your gaze directly before you. Give careful thought to the paths of your feet, And be steadfast in all of your ways. Do not turn to the right or the left and keep your foot from evil. And if we didn't already get the seriousness of protecting our hearts, we really see it here. The heart is the filter which the mouth speaks from. So by guarding our hearts, we are protecting what eventually will come out of our mouths. And notice how we are told above all else. And I don't know about you, but I this isn't something I often prioritize, guarding my heart. But actually, it's the thing that when I come across a problem, it's the thing that I realized I needed to protect the most. Yet Jesus knew it was one of the most important because he knew the heart is where the place that life flows from. It's a bit like a dam in a river. Um, Without the with the dam, it's stopping all the water going through and eventually giving life to the land. And in the same way, we must be obedient in daily asking God to remove the things that are blocking us from entering and from God entering and flowing from our hearts. But particularly the harmful seeds, like anger, that can grow into dangerous weeds in our lives. And you see, the minute that you agree with a bad thought in your mind, you you kind of give it permission to give it root in, in your life somehow. And in, in, this is so important that we, we, we recognize this when God convicts us of these things. It's not that he's saying, you're, I'm so done with you, I'm so angry with you, you're rubbish. It's saying, I can see there's this weed in your heart and I want to pull it out because I'm a good father who loves you and I've got good plans for you and to bless you and those around you. And I think that's often hard. When, when we read verses like this, it's so challenging. But I want to encourage you that, that God wants to bring these things out of us for a reason. And in both verses, it stresses to us the importance of taming the tongue and our anger. Anyone who says to a brother or sister, raka, which means empty-headed or foolish, is answerable to the court. And it also tells us to keep your mouth free of perversity, keep corrupt talk from your lips. And there is a reason that it stressed so much, because Jesus knew the easiest ways to cause division in a group of people is through harmful words. And believe me... I know that this is something one thing to preach on and another to actually live out in your life. Recently, I've been working on my final graduation film for university, in which I was directing, and it was by far the most, the biggest amount of responsibility I've ever had thrown my way, um, and leadership as well. And I hadn't had much experience in directing, um, and I had to carry not only the the vision of the film but also the ten people that I was managing behind me. and while on the outskirts online or chatting to you in person, it sounds like, oh, everything's going so well and it's encouraging. And it was, but like anything worthwhile, there are always setbacks, there are always challenges, and these were hard to deal with. I realize um, I suddenly have loads of respect for leaders that had ever come before me. And anyone that knows about working in a team, you know how much the leader takes on and actually how it's a group of people that do it together. It's not just one person. Also, the environment in an art school isn't always the most encouraging um, or collaborative. But I knew God that had really given me a love for the people around me and what he was doing in the people's lives. And I made a promise to God before the project even began that, yes, we would try and make the best film possible. But I really wanted to promise to God that no matter what, at the end of the day, at the end of the term, We would come out together as a successful team that we would still stand together that we would still be united and that anything that the enemy tried to come against us with we would not have and we would continue together as one. And thankfully God really blessed us with through and through with a wonderful team that really excelled and worked collaboratively together. But like every good team there will always be that stress as things get too much with creative pressure. And and I really allowed this to get to me at some points because we dive into dangerous territory when we let f- things fester in our lives and, and some comments of one person in the group would say things and it would really put me down and, and get me angry and but you know, throughout the project I would continue to, to stand tall and just not let it affect me. But towards the end of the frustration and the tension was building up, I, I just vented to someone on my team and I let all this anger out. And actually i didn't realize that I was fixing my eyes so much on my own situation, how it was affecting me, that I forgot to see that it also might be adding to the problem around me, that we pollute our working environment when we also talk badly about others, and I needed to look straight ahead, like in this verse, and fix my eyes on Jesus, who stands bigger than any issue what was going on in my lives, what was going on in my life um, And I needed to confront this person and explain to them what was happening, how they made me feel, and start on a new foundation to move forward. And you see, as soon as I realized this, and as soon as we had this conversation, the enemy had no longer a leg to stand on. We had named the issue in our relationship, and we'd cleared it, and the strongholds were broken, and ground was cleared. And this point was reiterated at the leadership conference, as I was saying, as we were reminded, and there was this amazing quote that someone says, It's your job as leader not to make excuses and blame others because at the end of the day, it's your responsibility. And although that was challenging to me, I realized, yeah, it's my responsibility. I can't be making excuses for what other people are doing in the team. If there is an issue, I need to fix it and sort it out with that person. And similarly, I believe that God is doing the same thing in our lives. At the end of our lives, we won't have time for excuses about what went wrong with such and such. But the truth is we will have a part to play in the situation. Which is often the most liberating thing we can learn, but also the hardest. As we reminded in Psalm 37, verse 8, it says, "Stop being angry; turn from your rage. Do not lose your temper, because it only leads to harm." And Ephesians 4:25 says, "In your anger, do not sin; do not let the sun go down in your anger." So, don't go to bed angry, because Jesus knows that these are spiritual things we're dealing with, and that when we when we sleep, we're vulnerable, and that's just place for enemy to um, just feed us bad thoughts in the night and we really need to clear that and just sleep on an open heart and really take thing cap- things captive and actually the power of forgiveness is liberating for all I learned that day when I was convicted about how I was speaking about that person that this was actually God's child that I was speaking badly about and it wasn't my burden to carry it was God was going to fix this problem and we've worked this out together See, something shifts in the spiritual realm when we release that person from our grip because we are reminded that it's not us who does the the judging, but the Lord. So guard your hearts and your minds. It is a command, but also a choice. We need to fix our eyes on him and then things will come into alignment. In the midst of your turmoil and your troubles, Jesus never says, smile and put on a brave face anyway, no. He says, in this first verse, he says, leave and go. Make the change and offer that apology. apology. Reconcile that friendship. Confide in that person about your weakness. Because he says his grace is sufficient for us, even in our weakness. But he also tells us that we we need to get to the root of the problem and fix it also. So how then can we go forward and implement what we've learned in these passages? Well, number one, we need to guard our hearts from anger. Leave and put down your gift in front of the altar. It's not just good enough that we sing songs of worship and thanksgiving to him. Even if you notice something's wrong with someone in your life or that situation, we, we often just get into a habit of praying about it, which is good. Don't get me wrong. And worshiping is good. But we also must take action. And that's what I think he's challenging us to do in this verse. The only way to get to the de- destination that God's planned in our lives or the sat is to follow the directions that he's put in to look at where you're going to fix your eyes on Jesus even if there are roadworks and obstacles that come your way because there will be hear his voice and don't ignore his words about bringing you into reconciliation and no matter how uncomfortable it is he is taking you to a better destination along with the people around you and number 2 as you fix your eyes on him allow you allow him to change you no matter how messy this looks we are all broken It says, go and be reconciled with them. Go and make the first move. It's often scary to say to that person, actually, when you said that, it upset me, and I I realise this could be an issue in our group, and I I really want to to move forward for the the good of us and for the good of the rest of the team. That is a scary thing to do, and the enemy would say that actually you're vulnerable and this is your weakness, but God doesn't say say that. He says, this is your strength, because out of this weakness, I'm going to shine. I'm going to bring breakthrough, and I'm going to bring transformation. So keep looking towards God and allow him to change you and go and make the first move. And number three, then we can offer and come back and, and offer our gift of worship back to him. Because what I'm trying to say is that we will, while we do sing songs at church, and that's really great, but God also wants us to worship with our whole lives and with our friendships and relationships too. And we come back and we give everything back to God. So let forgiveness be your most powerful weapon. And I'll tell you that in this world of corruption and deception, the strongest thing you can do in that business meeting, in that school project, in that university, is to forgive and allow his grace to transform you and the lives of people around you. I may only be a young leader, and I'm starting out what I'm doing, and I have so much to learn in this field that I'm in at uni. But you know one thing I'll never forget is that I cannot do it alone. I will never be strong enough, patient enough, brave enough to face this world, but Jesus promises never to leave me or you. He will guide you into the kingdom lifestyle. And my old pastor has this well-known phrase in our church which, which says, we must strive to be adders and multipliers and not subtractors and dividers in the kingdom. Adders and multipliers that support each other, that encourage each other, that say, hey, this is really challenging and I'm not doing so well in this and this, I'm having a problem with this person at work but we believe that when the power of God comes in, nothing is impossible. There is hope always. Believe me, I've had many technical issues over the last few weeks with getting films submitted, but God always comes through and it's, it's staying steadfast and strong and hopeful in those storms where God will really bless and honor you in that. So let's live our, let's live our lives in a way that highlights our faults and fears, which is contradictory to the world, only to reveal that Christ's strength are behind us for his glory now and forever. So why don't I invite the worship team to come out and we're going to go into a time of ministry now. And if you're new to to this place tonight, this is just where we're all just going to stand. And as we stand, we're we're going to listen and wait on the Lord and see what he wants to do and and speak to us because there are powerful things that we've been dealing with tonight and we really believe God has some insight. So I'm going to invite Lewis and Claire as well. Back up (laughs) as the worship band continue.